Chapter Twelve of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Four by Eugène Sue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Search. The Hotel de Lucenay was one of those royal residences of the Faubourg Saint Germain, which the space employed and, as it were, lost, makes so vast. A modern house might, with ease, be contained in the limits devoted to the staircase of one of these palaces, and a whole quarter might be built in the extent they occupy about nine o'clock in the evening of this day the two vast folding doors of this hotel opened on the arrival of a magnificent chariot which after having taken a dashing turn in the spacious courtyard stopped before the large covered flight of steps which led to the first antechamber whilst the hoofs of the two powerful and high-couraged horses sounded on the echoing pavement a gigantic footman opened the door emblazoned with armorial bearings and a young man alighted gracefully from this brilliant carriage and no less gracefully walked up the five or six steps of the entrance this young man was the vicomte de saint-remy on leaving his creditor who satisfied with the undertaking of florestan's father had granted the required delay and was to come and receive his money at ten o'clock in the rue de chaillot m de saint-remy had gone to madame de lucenay's to thank her for the fresh service she had rendered him and not having seen the duchess during the morning he came triumphant certain of finding her in prima sera the hour which she constantly reserved for him by the attention of the footmen in the antechamber who hastened to open the glass door as soon as they saw florestan's carriage by the profoundly respectful air with which the rest of the livery all rose as the vicomte passed by and by certain yet almost imperceptible touches it was evident that here was the second or rather the real master of the house when the duc de lucenay returned home with his umbrella in his hand and his feet protected by clumsy galoshes he hated going out in a carriage in the daytime the same domestic evolutions were gone through with similar respect still in the eyes of a keen observer there was a vast difference between the reception accorded to the husband and that reserved for the lover a corresponding attention displayed itself in the footman's waiting-room when florestan entered it and one of the valets instantly arose to announce him to madame de lucenay the vicomte had never been more joyous never felt himself more at his ease more confident of himself more assured of conquest the victory he had obtained over his father in the morning the fresh proof of attachment on the part of madame de lucenay the joy at having escaped as it were by a miracle from a terrible situation his renewed confidence in his star gave his handsome features an expression of boldness and good-humour which rendered it still more captivating in fact he had never felt himself more himself and he was right never had his slender and graceful figure displayed a finer carriage never had his look been more elevated never had his pride been more deliciously tickled by the thought the great lady the mistress of this palace is mine is at my feet this very morning she waited for me in my own house florestan had given way to these excessively vainglorious reflections as he traversed three or four apartments which led to a small room in which the duchess usually sat a last look at himself in a glass which he passed completed the excellent opinion which florestan had of himself the valet de chambre opened the folding doors of the salon and announced monsieur the vicomte de saint-remy it is impossible to paint the astonishment and indignation of the duchess she believed the comte had not concealed from his son that she also had overheard all we have already said that on discovering florestan's infamy madame de lucenay's love suddenly quenched had changed into the most frigid disdain we have also said 
that in the midst of her errors her frailties madame de lucenay had preserved pure and intact her feelings of rectitude honour and chivalric frankness whose strength and requirements were excessively strong she possessed the better qualities of her faults the virtues of her vices treating love as cavalierly as a man treats it she pushed as far nay further than a man devotion generosity courage and above all intense horror of all baseness madame de lucenay being about to go to a party in the evening was although without her diamonds dressed with her accustomed taste and magnificence and her splendid costume the rouge she wore without attempt at concealment like a court lady up to her eyelids her beauty which was especially brilliant at candlelight her figure of a goddess walking in the clouds rendered still more striking that noble air which no one displayed to greater advantage than she did and which she carried if requisite to a height of insolence that was overwhelming we know the haughty and resolute disposition of the duchess and we may imagine her physiognomy her look when the vicomte advancing towards her conceited smiling confident said in a tone of love dearest clotilde how good you are how you the vicomte could not finish the duchess was seated and had not risen but her gesture her glance betokened contempt at once so calm and crushing that florestan stopped short he could not utter another word nor advance another step he had never before seen madame de lucenay under this aspect he could not believe that it was the same woman whom he had always found gentle tender and passionately submissive for nothing is more humble more timid than a determined woman in the presence of the man whom she loves and who controls her his first surprise passed florestan was ashamed of his weakness his habitual audacity resumed its ascendancy and making a step towards madame de lucenay in order to take her hand he said in his most insinuating tone clotilde what ails you i never saw you look so lovely and yet really this is too impudent exclaimed the duchess recoiling with such disgust and hauteur that florestan was again overcome with surprise resuming some assurance he said to her will you at least clotilde tell me the cause of this change sudden singular as it is what have i done how have i offended without making any reply madame de lucenay looked at him as is vulgarly said from head to foot with so insulting an expression that florestan felt red with the anger which displayed itself upon his brow and exclaimed i am aware madame that it is thus you habitually break off is it a rupture that you now desire the question is singular said madame de lucenay with a sarcastic laugh learn sir that when a lackey robs me i do not break with him i turn him away madame oh a truce to this said the duchess in a stern and peremptory tone your presence disgusts me why are you here have you not had your money it is true then as i guessed the twenty-five thousand francs your last forgery is withdrawn is it not the honour of your family's name is saved that is well go ah uh, believe me i very much regret that money for it might have succoured so many honest families but it was necessary to think of the shame to your father and to myself so then clotilde you know all and then now nothing is left me but to die exclaimed florestan in a most pathetic and despairing tone 
a burst of derisive laughter from the duchess hailed this tragic exclamation and she added between two fits of fresh hilarity i could never have believed infamy could appear so ridiculous madame cried florestan his features contracted with rage the two folding doors opened with a loud noise and monsieur le duc de montbrison was announced in spite of his self-command florestan could scarcely repress the violence of his resentment which any man more observing than the duke must certainly have perceived monsieur de montbrison was scarcely eighteen years of age let our readers imagine a most engaging countenance like that of a young girl white and red whose vermilion lips and downy chin were slightly shaded by a nascent beard let them add to this large brown eyes as yet timid but which in time would gleam like a falcon's a figure as graceful as that of the duchess herself and then perhaps they may have some idea of this young duke the cherubino as complete an idea as ever countess or waiting-maid decked in a woman's cap after having remarked the ivory whiteness of his neck the vicomte had the weakness or the audacity to remain how kind of you conrad to think of me this evening said madame de lucenay in a most affectionate voice and extending her hand to the young duke who was about to shake hands with his cousin but clotilde raised her hand a little and said to him gaily kiss it cousin you have your gloves on pardon me my dear cousin said the young man as he applied his lips to the naked and charming hand that was offered to him what are you going to do this evening conrad inquired madame de lucenay without seeming to take the slightest notice in the world of florestan nothing cousin when i leave you i shall go to the club indeed you shall not you shall accompany us monsieur de lucenay and me to madame de senneval's she gives a party and has frequently asked me to introduce you to her i shall be but too happy then too i must tell you frankly that i don't like to see you begin so early with your habits and tastes for clubs you are possessed of everything necessary in order to be everywhere welcomed and even sought after in the world and you ought therefore to mix with it as much as possible yes you are right cousin and as i am on the footing of a grandmother with you my dear conrad i am determined to exact a great deal from you you are emancipated it is true but i believe you will want a guardian for a long time to come and you must therefore consider me in that light most joyfully happily cousin said the young duke emphatically it is impossible to describe the mute rage of florestan who was standing up and leaning with his elbow on the mantelpiece neither the duke nor clotilde paid the slightest attention to him knowing the rapidity with which madame de lucenay decided he imagined she was pushing her boldness and contempt so far as to commence at once and in his presence a regular flirtation with the duc de montbrison it was not so the duchess felt for her cousin nothing beyond a truly maternal affection having almost seen him born but the young duke was so handsome and seemed so happy at the agreeable reception of his cousin that the jealousy or rather pride of florestan was aroused his heart writhed beneath the cruel wounds of envy excited by conrad de montbrison who rich and handsome was beginning so splendidly that life of pleasures enjoyments and fate from which he ruined undone despised dishonoured was expelled m de saint-remy was brave with that bravery of the head if we may so call it which will urge a man by anger or by vanity to face a duel but vitiated and corrupted he had not the courage of the heart which triumphs over bad inclinations or which at least gives the energy which enables a man to escape infamy by a voluntary death 
furious at the bitter contempt of the duchess believing he saw a successor in the young duke m de saint-remy resolved to confront madame de lucenay with all insolence and if need were to seek a quarrel with conrad the duchess irritated at florestan's audacity did not look towards him and m de montbrison in his anxious attention to his cousin forgetting something of his high breeding had not saluted or spoken a word to the vicomte with whom he was acquainted the latter advancing to conrad whose back was towards him touched his arm lightly and said in a dry and ironical tone good evening sir a thousand pardons for not having observed you before m de montbrison perceiving that he had really failed in politeness turned around instantly and said cordially to the vicomte really sir i am ashamed but i hope that my cousin who caused my forgetfulness will be my excuse and conrad interposed the duchess immeasurably annoyed at florestan's impudence persisting as he did in remaining as it were to brave her conrad that will do make no apologies it is not worth while m de montbrison believing that his cousin was reproaching him in joke for being somewhat too formal said in a gay tone to the vicomte who was livid with rage i will not say more sir since my cousin forbids me you see her guardianship has begun and will not stop when it begins my dear sir be assured of that thus with this notice which madame la duchesse will hasten to fulfil i have no doubt with this notice i say i have it in my mind to make you a proposal to me sir said conrad beginning to take offence at the sardonic tone of florestan to you yourself i leave in a few days for the legation to gerolstein to which i am attached i wish therefore to get my house completely furnished and my stable entirely arranged off my hands and you might find it a suitable arrangement and the vicomte insolently emphasized his last words looking madame de lucenay full in the face it would be very piquant would it not madame la duchesse i do not understand you sir said m de montbrison more and more astonished i will tell you conrad why you cannot accept the offer that is made you said clotilde and why madame la duchesse cannot the duke accept my offer my dear conrad what is offered you for sale is already sold to others so you understand you would have the inconvenience of being robbed just as if you were in a wood florestan bit his lips with rage take care madame he cried what threats and here sir exclaimed conrad pooh pooh conrad pay no attention said madame de lucenay taking a lozenge from a sweetmeat box with the utmost composure a man of honour ought not and cannot have any future communication with that person if he likes i will tell you why a tremendous explosion would no doubt have occurred when the two folding doors again opened and the duc de lucenay entered noisily violently hurriedly as was his usual custom in the afternoon as well as the forenoon ah my dear what dressed already said he to his wife why how surprising quite astonishing good evening serimi good evening conrad ah you see the most miserable of men that is to say i neither sleep nor eat but i'm completely done up can't reconcile myself to it poor d'harville what an event and m de lucenay threw himself back in a sort of small sofa with two backs and crossing his left knee over his right took his foot in his hand whilst he continued to utter the most distressing exclamations the excitement of conrad and florestan had time to calm down without being perceived by m de lucenay 
who was the least clear-sighted man in the world madame de lucenay not from embarrassment for she was never embarrassed as we know but because florestan's presence was as disgusting as it was insupportable said to the duke we are ready to go as soon as you please i am going to introduce conrad to madame de Seneval. no 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 cried the duke letting go his foot to seize one of the cushions on which he struck violently with his two fists to the great alarm of clotilde who at the sudden cries of her husband started from her chair monsieur what ails you she inquired you frighten me exceedingly no replied the duke thrusting the cushion from him rising suddenly and walking up and down with rapid strides and gesticulations i cannot get over the idea of the death of poor dear d'harville can you saint-remy indeed it was a frightful event said the vicomte who with hatred and rage in his heart kept his eye on m de montbrison but this latter after the last words of his cousin turned away from a man so deeply degraded not from want of feeling but from pride for goodness sake my lord said the duchess to her husband do not regret the loss of m d'harville in so noisy and really so singular a manner ring if you please for my carriage yes it is really true said m de lucenay seizing the bell-rope really true that three days ago he was full of life and health and to-day what remains of him nothing 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 these three last exclamations were accompanied by three such violent pulls that the bell-rope which the duke held in his hand whilst he was gesticulating broke away from the upper spring fell on a candelabra filled with lighted wax candles knocked two of them out of the sconces one of which falling on the mantelpiece broke a lovely little cup of old sevres china whilst the other falling on the ground rolled on a fur hearth rug which took flame but was soon extinguished under conrad's foot at the same moment two valets de chambre summoned by the furious ringing entered hastily and found m de lucenay with the bell-rope in his hand the duchess laughing heartily at this ridiculous fall of the wax lights and m de montbrison sharing her mirth m de saint-remy alone did not laugh m de lucenay quite accustomed to such accidents preserved his usual seriousness and throwing the bell-rope to one of them said the duchess's carriage clotilde having somewhat recovered her composure said really my lord there is no man in the world but yourself capable of exciting laughter at so lamentable an event lamentable say fearful why now only yesterday i was recollecting how many persons in my own family i would rather should have died than poor d'harville first there's my nephew d'amberval who stutters so annoyingly then there's your aunt Maréville, who is always talking about her nerves and her headache and who always gobbles up every day whilst she is waiting for dinner a mess of broth like a porter's wife are you very fond of your aunt Maréville? really my lord have you lost your wits said the duchess shrugging her shoulders it's true enough though continued the duke one would give twenty indifferent persons for one friend eh saint-remy unquestionably it is the old story of the tailor over again do you know it conrad the story of the tailor no cousin you will understand the allegory at once a tailor was going to be hanged he was the only tailor in the village what were the inhabitants to do they said to the judge please your judgeship we have only one tailor and we have three shoemakers if it is all the same to you please to hang one of the three shoemakers in the place of the tailor for two shoemakers are enough 
do you understand the allegory conrad yes cousin and you saremi quite her grace's carriage said one of the servants but i say why haven't you put on your diamonds asked m de lucenay abruptly with that dress they would look remarkably well saint-remy shuddered for the one poor time we are going out together continued the duke you might have done us the honour to wear your diamonds the duchess's diamonds are particularly fine did you ever see them saint-remy yes he knows them well enough said clotilde and then she added your arm corrad m de lucenay followed the duchess with saint-remy who could scarcely repress his anger aren't you coming with us to the seneval saint-remy inquired m de lucenay no impossible he replied briefly by the way saint-remy there's madame de seneval too what do i say one there's two whom i would willingly sacrifice for her husband is also on my list what list that of the people whom i should not have cared to see die provided derville had been left to us at the moment when they were in the ante-room and m de montbrison was helping the duchess on with her mantle m de lucenay addressing his cousin said to him since you are coming with us conrad desire your carriage to follow ours unless you will decide on coming saint-remy and then you shall take me and i will tell you another story quite as good as that of the tailor thank you said saint-remy dryly i cannot accompany you well then good-night my dear fellow have you and my wife quarrelled for she is getting into her carriage without saying a word to you and at this moment the duchess's berlin having drawn up at the steps she entered it now cousin said conrad waiting for m de lucenay with an air of deference get in get in said the duke who had stopped a moment and from the door was contemplating the elegant equipage of the vicomte are those your greys saint-remy yes and your jolly-looking edwards he's what i call a right sort of coachman how well he has his horses in hand to do justice there is no one who like saint-remy does things in such devilish high style my dear fellow madame de lucenay and your cousin are waiting for you said m de saint-remy with bitterness pardieu and that's true what a forgetful rascal i am au revoir saint-remy ah i forgot said the duke stopping half-way down the steps if you have nothing better to do come and dine with us to-morrow lord dudley has sent us some grouse from scotland and they are out of the way things you know you'll come won't you and the duke sprang into the carriage which contained his wife and conrad saint-remy remained alone on the steps and saw the carriage drive away his own then drove up he got into it casting on that house which he had so often entered as master and which now he so ignominiously quitted a look of anger hatred and despair home said he abruptly to the hotel said the footman to edwards as he closed the door we may imagine how bitter and desolating were saint remy's thoughts as he returned to his house at the moment when he reached it boyer who was awaiting him at the portico said to him monsieur le comte is above and waits for monsieur le vicomte very well and there is also a man whom your lordship appointed at ten o'clock a monsieur petitjean very well oh what an evening party said florestan as he went upstairs to see his father whom he found in the salon on the first floor the same room in which their meeting of the morning had taken place 
a thousand pardons my father that i was not awaiting you when you arrived but i is the man here who holds the forged bill inquired the comte interrupting his son yes father he is below desire him to come up florestan rang and boyer appeared desire m petitjean to come up yes my lord and boyer withdrew how good you are father to remember your kind promise i always remember what i promise what gratitude do i owe you how can i ever prove to you i will not have my name dishonoured it shall not be it shall not be no it shall never be i swear to you my father the comte looked strangely at his son and repeated no it shall never be then he added with a sarcastic air you are a prophet i read my resolution in my heart florestan's father made no rejoinder he walked up and down the room with his two hands thrust into the pockets of his long coat he was very pale monsieur petitjean said boyer introducing a man of a mean sordid and crafty look where is the bill inquired the comte here it is sir said petitjean jacques ferrand's the notary's man of straw handing the bill to the comte is this it said the latter showing the bill to his son yes father the comte took from his waistcoat pocket twenty-five notes of a thousand francs each handed them to his son and said hey florestan paid and took the bill with a deep sigh of the utmost satisfaction m petitjean put the notes carefully in an old pocket-book made his bow and retired m de saint-remy left the salon with him whilst florestan was very carefully tearing up the bill at least clotilde's twenty-five thousand francs are still in my pocket and if nothing is revealed that is a comfort but how she treated me but what can my father have to say to the man petitjean the noise of a door being double locked made the vicomte start his father returned to the room his pallor had even increased i fancied father i heard you lock the door of my cabinet yes i did and why my dear father asked florestan greatly amazed i will tell you and the comte placed himself so that his son could not pass out by the secret staircase which led to the ground floor florestan greatly disquieted now observed the sinister look of his father and followed all his movements with mistrust without being able to account for it he felt a vague alarm what ails you father this morning when you saw me your only thought was my father will not allow his name to be dishonoured he will pay if i can but contrive to wheedle him by some feigned words of repentance can you indeed think do not interrupt me i have not been your dupe you have neither shame regret nor remorse you are vicious to the very core you have never felt one honest aspiration you have not robbed as long as you have been in possession of wherewithal to gratify your caprices that is what is called the probity of rich persons of your stamp then came the want of delicate feeling then meannesses then crime then forgery this is but the first period of your life it is bright and pure in comparison with that which would be yet to come if i did not change my conduct assuredly but i shall change it father i have sworn to you you will not change it but you will not change it expelled from society in which you have hitherto lived 
you would become very quickly criminal like the wretches amongst whom you would be cast a thief inevitably and if your need were an assassin that would be your future life i an assassin i yes because you are a coward i have had duels and have evinced i tell you you are a coward you have already preferred infamy to death a day would come in which you would prefer the impunity for fresh crimes to the life of another this must not be i will not allow it i have come in time at least to save my name from public dishonour hereafter there must be an end to this what do you mean dearest father how an end to this what would you imply exclaimed florestan still more alarmed at the fearful expression and the increased pallor of his father's countenance suddenly there was a violent blow struck on the cabinet door florestan made a motion to go and open it in order to put an end to a scene which terrified him but the comte seized him with a hand of iron and held him fast who knocks inquired the comte in the name of the law open open said a voice that forgery then was not the last exclaimed the comte in a low voice and looking at his son with a terrible air yes my father i swear it exclaimed florestan endeavouring but vainly to extricate himself from the vigorous grasp of his father in the name of the law open repeated the voice what is it you seek demanded the comte i am a commissary of police and i have come to make a search after a robbery of diamonds of which monsieur de saint-remy is accused monsieur baudouin a jeweller has proofs if you do not open sir i shall be compelled to force open the door already a thief i was not then deceived said the comte in a low voice i came to kill you i have delayed too long kill me there is already too much dishonour on my name it must end i have here two pistols you must blow out your brains or i will blow them out and i will say that you killed yourself in despair in order to escape from shame and with a fearful sang-froid the comte drew a pistol from his pocket and with the hand that was free presented it to his son saying now an end to this if indeed you are not a coward after repeated and ineffectual attempts to free himself from the comte's hand his son fell back aghast and livid with fear he saw by the fearful look the inexorable demeanour of his father that he had no pity to expect from him my father he exclaimed you must die i repent it is too late hark they are forcing in the door i will expiate my faults they are entering must i then kill you with my own hand pardon the door gives way you will then have it so and the comte plays the muzzle of the weapon against florestan's breast the noise without announced that the door of the cabinet could not long resist the vicomte saw he was lost a sudden and desperate resolution lighted up his countenance he no longer struggled with his father and he said to him with equal firmness and resignation you are right my father give me the pistol there is infamy enough on my name the life in store for me is frightful and is not worth the trouble of a struggle give me the pistol you shall see if i am a coward and he put forth his hand to take the pistol 
but at least one word one single word of consolation pity farewell said florestan and his trembling lips his paleness his agitated features all betokened the terrible emotion of this frightful moment but what if he were indeed my son thought the comte with terror and hesitating to hand him the deadly instrument if he were my son i ought to hesitate before such a sacrifice a loud cracking of the cabinet door announced that it was being forced my father they are coming and now i feel that death is indeed a benefit yes now i thank you but at least your hand and forgive me in spite of his sternness the comte could not repress a shudder as he said in a voice of emotion i forgive you my father the door opens go to them that at least they may not even suspect you besides if they enter here they will prevent me from completing adieu the steps of several persons were heard in the next room florestan placed the muzzle of the pistol to his heart he went off at the instant when the comte to avoid the horrid sight turned away his head and rushed out of the salon whose curtains closed upon him at the sound of this explosion at the sight of the comte pale and haggard the commissary stopped short at the threshold of the door making a sign to his agents to pause also informed by boyer that the vicomte was shut up with his father the magistrate understood all and respected his deep grief dead exclaimed the comte hiding his face in his hands dead he repeated in a tone of agony it was just better death than infamy but it is horrible sir said the magistrate sorrowfully after a few moments silence spare yourself a painful spectacle leave the house and now i have another duty to fulfil even more painful than that which summoned me hither you are quite right sir said m de saint-remy as to the sufferer by this robbery you will request him to call on m dupont the banker in the rue richelieu he is very well known replied the magistrate what is the estimated value of the stolen diamonds about thirty thousand francs the person who bought them and by whom the fraud was detected gave that amount for them to your son i can still pay it sir let the jeweller go to my banker the day after to-morrow and i will have it all arranged the commissary bowed the comte left the room after the departure of the latter the magistrate deeply affected by this unlooked-for scene went slowly towards the salon the curtains of which were closed he moved them on one side with agitation nobody he exclaimed amazed beyond measure and looking around him unable to see the least trace of the tragic event which he believed had just occurred then seeing a small door in the panel of the apartment he went towards it it was fastened in the side of the secret staircase it was a trick and he has escaped by this door he exclaimed with vexation and in fact the vicomte having in his father's presence placed the pistol on his heart had very dexterously fired it under his arm and rapidly made off in spite of the most careful search throughout the house they could not discover florestan during the conversation with his father and the commissary he had quickly gained the boudoir then the conservatory then the lone alley and so to the champs elysees the picture of this ignoble degradation in opulence is a sad thing we are aware of it but for want of warnings 
the richer classes have also fatally their miseries vices crimes nothing is more frequent and more afflicting than those insensate barren prodigalities which we now have described and which always entail ruin loss of consideration baseness or infamy it is a deplorable sad spectacle just like contemplating a flourishing field of wheat destroyed by a herd of wild beasts no doubt that inheritance property are and ought to be inviolable sacred wealth acquired or transmitted ought to be able to shine with impunity and magnificently in the eyes of the poor and suffering masses we must too see those frightful disproportions which exist between the millionaire saint-remy and the artisan morel but inasmuch as these inevitable disproportions are consecrated protected by the law so those who possess such wealth ought morally to be accountable to those who have only probity resignation courage and desire to labour in the eyes of reason human right and even of a well-understood social interest a great fortune should be a hereditary deposit confided to prudent firm skilful generous hands which entrusted at the same time to fructify and expend this fortune know how to fertilize vivify and ameliorate all that should have the felicity to find themselves within the scope of its splendid and salutary rays and sometimes it is so but the instances are very rare how many young men like saint-remy masters at twenty of a large patrimony spend it foolishly in idleness in waste in vice for want of knowing how to employ their wealth more advantageously either for themselves or for the public others alarmed at the instability of human affairs save in the meanest manner thus there are those who knowing that a fixed fortune always diminishes give themselves up fools or rogues to that hazardous immoral gaming which the powers that be encourage and patronize how can it be otherwise who imparts to inexperienced youth that knowledge that instruction those rudiments of individual and social economy no one the rich man is thrown into the heart of society with his riches as the poor man with his poverty no one takes any more care of the superfluities of the one man of the wants of the other no one thinks any more of making the one moralize than the other ought not power to fulfil this great and noble task if taking to its pity the miseries the continually increasing troubles of the still resigned workman repressing a rivalry injurious to all and addressing itself finally to the imminent question of the organization of labor it gave itself the salutary lesson of the association of capital and labor and if there were an honorable intelligent equitable association which should assure the well-doing of the artisan without injuring the fortune of the rich and which establishing between the two classes the bonds of affection and gratitude would for ever keep safeguard over the tranquillity of the state how powerful then would be the consequences of such a practical instruction amongst the rich who then would hesitate as to the dishonourable disastrous chances of stock-jobbing the gross pleasures of avarice the foolish vanities of a ruinous dissipation or a means at once remunerative and beneficial which would shed ease morality happiness and joy over scores of families End of chapter twelve read by celine major